Hello, I'm Ron Scharf. I'm Avi Kaufman. And we've been talking to David Jaime of Lieberman Law Office. You may have heard the previous episode, but we've broken it up into a few because we've got so much good stuff. And uh, so I want to just reintroduce David. Yeah, I'm David Jaime. Uh, I feel I feel like a, the popular kid who gets to come on multiple episodes. <laughs> uh, this is good. I'm a real estate attorney in, in Massachusetts. I'm a partner at uh, Lieberman Law, and we are all over Massachusetts for, uh, for doing real estate closing. Uh, we were last talking about owner's title insurance and its many benefits. Let me ask you about something else where, where people usually never say no, but sometimes do. Uh, you have a mortgage contingency date in the offer. Uh, it protects the buyer and says, I have the right to back out and get my deposits back if I don't secure financing of X amount by such and such date. Right. And sometimes you get to that date in the bank, they were on vacation or they forgot or they're busy or yeah. they're just not very good. And they say, we need an extra three days. We need an extra week yeah, to yeah. finish to do this before we can give the buyer a commitment on their mortgage. Um, so please extend the contingency to protect the buyer by the week. Correct. Um, how does that work? When, is, when do people usually say yes and say no? So what the, what the mortgage contingency clause actually says is um, the buyer has until uh, this date to obtain a commitment from their lender. And if, if the buyer's attorney is doing their job well, they'll also negotiate into that paragraph that uh, not only should it be just a commitment, it should be a commitment with only conditions that are within the buyer's control. So if there is a commitment, but it has a condition of an appraisal, the buyer has no control over the appraiser. The lender has no control over the appraiser. Nobody does. So if the buyer can get the commitment by that date, and it's a commitment that is uh, purely only items that are within their control, no problem. If they cannot, what this paragraph says is that if they give notice that they were unable to get a commitment, the seller uh, has to give them back their money and let them walk away. What we do in practice is I will go to the seller's attorney and say, hey, seller's attorney, my client was unable to get a commitment, so I have given notice to bring that paragraph into the forefront that my client can't get a commitment. So I, I have at this point protected their deposit by giving notice to the seller's attorney. So right then, their deposit is now safe, right? I've invoked the clause. I've invoked the clause, right? And I say, but my client would like to extend this date and continue with this deal. And the seller's attorney at that point goes and brings this up, brings my request up with the seller to say, hey, seller, this buyer did not get a commitment today, but would like to extend this date and stay in this deal. What do you think? The, the mortgage commitment date is usually one week before closing. The, the seller stayed in the deal for this long. Why, why get out of it? You'd be ludicrous to, to kill a deal over this. Yeah, that's why I would tell a seller is like, look, you're not going to put it on the market tomorrow. Um, if this person, their inspections passed, they're, they're this far, you're going to close in like three weeks. Uh, if, you, if you back out and put it back in the market, you have no idea what kind of buyer you're going to get next. You have no idea what their finances are going to be like. At least in this situation, we know that this buyer is only waiting on an appraisal. So the seller, the seller's attorney can come, can go back to me and, and say... By the way, in that situation, the, the next buyer is going to need to appraise it also. Yeah, absolutely. Right? So if the appraisal is a problem, you want to know about it. Right. It's, right. it's just waiting. Good, just wait. Wonderful point. Absolutely. Absolutely. So the seller's attorney can come back to me and say, yes, no problem. And again, the mortgage contingency clause is still in effect. For, it's a it's a later date, so we wait and make sure that that's passed. And frankly, if I have to ask for it again, we do this we do the same thing again. Or 
the seller's attorney can come back to me and say, no, my seller does not agree to extend. And at that point, it is up to my buyer to decide whether they're going to let go of their mortgage contingency and put their deposits at risk. So they put down deposits with the with the offer. They've put down a deposit with the purchase and sale agreement. So it's assuming that they're taking the risk on themselves that, and assuming, okay, whatever issue I had with not getting a commitment letter, I'll be able to work it out between now and Exactly. Later. So they might go to their loan officer and the loan officer say, I am really not worried about this uh, condition, this appraisal. I'm really confident that it's going to come in fine. Or they'll talk to their agent and purchase price is way below what the market value is. And they, they might decide, you know what, I'm going to take the risk and move forward without the mortgage protection, right? Or maybe their deposit is really small. You know, sometimes you can negotiate a lower, lower deposit, not often, but it's all relative, right? So $50,000 to me is a lot of money. <laughs> So to someone else, it might it might not be that much because they love this house so much and they don't want to lose it. And we keep going with the deal. If they don't, then I can go back to the seller and say, sorry, you don't want to play ball with us. Please return the, the deposits and the deal is now terminated. Right. I mean, that's I, what's interesting is that often people don't think about the fact that there will be a relationship in between when the purchase and sale is signed and when you close. And if things get acrimonious along the way, and then something like this comes up and a, and a buyer has an excuse to walk away and they're angry or they've learned something about neighbors or something, they might just say, you know what, no mortgage, I'm out. And it's another reason why people have to remember that this is a relationship. It, yes, it is a transaction that you will never see these people again once you close. But you know there is stuff that has to happen in between purchase and sale and closing. And The point being, though, a good relationship is super important because Avi and I have had a situation where the seller's attorney came back to us on a, on a very large transaction and said, no, mortgage contingency will not be extended. And it was, I mean, we both looked at each other and said, is this a joke? What, what do you mean? What, are you really going to kill a deal? And come to find out that they had a backup offer, uh, a, a bigger offer, and they weren't worried. They, they were like, you know what? If this buyer can't get their mortgage figured out, then no problem. We have a backup and we're going to go to a buyer that's going to pay us more. Yeah, and luckily we resolved that. We uh, did. Well, that can also backfire too. You could think you have that backup off. Well, absolutely. You, I mean, there's the devil yeah. you know and the devil you don't. Right. Yeah, and imagine if you're the real estate agent that told him to to, to kill the deal, and then that buyer backs backs out of the right. the, yeah. the other and now the property is back on the market for however long. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And that's exactly why you know what we, we tell the risks and the rewards, and it's always the the clients. That's absolutely. Happening. David, when we were talking about mortgage contingencies and how those sometimes get extended, and the importance of uh, the relationships and working together, um, you know, it reminded me of the situation that often comes up where the seller uh, is moving to someplace, but they, they need an overlap period in their old place. Even after they sell it, they don't need the cash uh, between then and when they buy it. So they ask to do uh, what's called a lease back or a use and occupancy uh, to stay in the place they're selling after the closing for some amount of time and essentially pay uh, some amount of money to the new owner to stay there uh, how, what are your thoughts on this? I know you have strong thoughts on uh, use and occupancy agreements. Yeah, I, I mean, in general, a use and occupancy agreement is a tool that that we use like like any other tool in, in real estate, right? In making a transaction happen. I am not a huge fan of them um, because they exist in this gray area of, of law. Um, 
But when they need to be used, they need to be used. And um, I, I, I use them as a scalpel rather than a sledgehammer, um, uh, using them only in, in situations where we really need them. But absolutely, the term that I really dislike is uh, a lease back because that, that denotes this idea that there's, it's actually a lease and it is not. I don't like the word lease being used in this because the relationship is, is one of licensee and licensor. A simpler way of thinking about it is you have a friend that's coming over and you're, you're giving them the, uh, the right to come and, and stay at your place for, for a while while you're on vacation. And they're, they're using your, your property while you're on vacation and they come back and you ask them to leave, right? That's the simplest way I can put this. That's the kind of relationship you have between the two parties. This is not a landlord-tenant relationship. Right. So just to be clear for the non-lawyers out there, when you say tenancy, when you create a tenancy, you, there are legal ramifications to calling someone a tenant. Absolutely. And especially in Massachusetts, our lovely housing court system is very pro-tenant. Um, they're fair, obviously, but historically, they have leaned more towards the tenant, the rights of the tenant, than the rights of the landlord. And tenants and landlords, just in a general sense, have designated rights when you start talking about leases, right? And this is not what this is. It can't be because this is a simple, listen, I need to use the property for X amount of time after I sell to you. Do you mind letting me? And so, so the very title of the document is saying, this is not a lease. This absolutely. is something less than a lease. Absolutely. Way less than a lease. But this is a gray area, right? Because they are like living in it. It is a contract. They're paying you. I mean, so Correct. what's the worst case that we're trying to avoid here? Like we want to avoid the tenancy. There's two, two worst cases. One is that the person that's staying behind is going to destroy the property. <laughs> right. <laughs> so the so seller, you would still, in a, in a use and occupancy, you could still take a security deposit? You can. You can. And then the argument becomes of the... One party saying, no, 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 this is way too much. The standard for the standard security deposit is $5,000. And obviously, if it's a multi, multi-million dollar house, that number goes way up because the worth of the property is way more. It, it is still insured. Um, you know, obviously, the buyer's insurance has, has, has taken over once they purchase the property. The insurance companies have a lot of trouble with this in terms of having a renter's insurance or anything like that. They don't allow it. Because you're not, you're technically not renting. You're just right. staying in the property for a designated period of time. So th- number one is the house is going to get destroyed, and the buyer is left with a property that they did not sign up for. Right. Number two is that the person occupying doesn't leave, and what are you going to do? And uh, suddenly you have this gray area. You have a, you have an agreement that said that they're going to leave. Okay, you keep their deposit, your their security deposit. Sure. I have put in there ramifications of uh, exponential amount more of a per diem, of a per day uh, fee that's due to the buyer if, if the seller just doesn't leave. Okay, sure. But you're literally going to have to take him to court to uh, uphold this contract and get your damages from them. And that process is a long process. I mean, <laughs> you guys know. You, take, you try to take somebody to court. We're talking about months uh, before you get in front of a judge. And this person is just then just living there. And you have to keep in mind that any standard form mortgage, if it's, a, if it's an owner-occupied, says that the buyer needs to be living in the property within 60 days of taking ownership. So there's that ramification as well. 
What I tell my clients is, well, I tell them this, <laughs> but what I also tell them is you got you to gotta feel good about the other party, right? If you know the seller, and this, again, goes back to the idea of having a good relationship. If you've met the seller, if you know them, you know, they have kids, they're in the school system. They just need to finish up their time in this school system and then they'll be out, right? If you feel good about them, more power to you. I will do whatever I can to protect you in the agreement. Past that, you are taking risks. And if you understand the risks, that's all that we can do for you. If you're able to get the other side to just push the closing out and just do the closing later, that's obviously better. You avoid all of this and we're good to go. If you can't, then again, we use these tools with both parties understanding the risk and rewards. Right. So the standard language of purchase and sale is you will deliver the property broom clean and free of tenants and furniture and all possessions. And we like that language. We like that a lot. It's clean. And, and I also add more language that says actually the seller not being able to move out is not a reason <laughs> to not move out. You know, if, if moving concerns are a problem, that's not a, <laughs> that's not a reason to not move out. You got to be out. And then what happens is when we go to the closing or the day of the closing, we do a walkthrough with the buyer and we make sure that the property the is, delivered. is That's empty. Right. That's right. It's being yeah. delivered in the same state it was at the time of their inspection and any repairs that the seller had agreed to make it has, has already been done. And then those things should have been figured out earlier, but you know, a lot of times it happens at the time of the final walkthrough. And things always break. The windows are always broken that morning. You know, the- it's so funny how much happens that morning, right? <laughs> a big snowstorm happened last night, and suddenly a tree fell on the house. Yeah. The suddenly there was a uh, there was a big there was a big storm, and there's water in the basement. You know how many times the morning of suddenly there's been water in the basement and no, no time in the past. Never happened before. It's never <laughs> happened. I don't understand it. This has never happened. I have had a dry basement here forever, but just this morning. <laughs> Did you ever have a closing where they get to the walkthrough and uncle Louie won't leave his bedroom? I have had closings where there was a squatter uh-huh. <laughs> in the property that refused to leave. And once they've been living there for a certain period of time, we don't. Our, our squatters' rights are are very difficult, but they do have some rights. And you actually you need to go get a constable to to, to get them out, or or you you pay them to to leave. This is actually especially important for uh, any time your clients are buying a foreclosure. That is especially important to make sure that the property is vacant, or else you are really setting yourself up for a headache. Um, another example is when you, you, I had a client that bought a foreclosure and the person who got foreclosed on, their son had been living in the property the whole time by himself. Nobody thought about the son. And it just so happened that every time they went to visit, somehow the son had not been in the property. Nobody saw him. The sale happened. They went to the property and the locks were changed. <laughs> and- they're trying to ask us for keys. We're, we're, trying, we're asking for keys, and the son went and changed the keys. Right, right. That, that's a that's a, a horrible situation. Um, you and me have had one where I uh, remember we were representing the buyer, and the seller's daughter was living not a, this is a normal sale, not a foreclosure, and she uh, uh, still hadn't finished moving out. She's had a big pile of junk in the middle of the room. Yes, and and that that ha- I, honestly that's that happens all the time. The seller says, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to still close tomorrow. 
It's got to be later in the day. Just, just give, give me a little bit more yeah. time. And then it's oh, 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock. Yeah, we're just, just going to keep pushing, keep pushing it out. And, and honestly, in those situations, if we know that the guy, the person is definitely going to move out that day, we do the closing, we hold on to the deed, the documents that need to be recorded. And in Massachusetts, until the deed is actually on record, the, se- the sale is not complete. So I can do the closing, I can hold the documents and keep yelling at the seller's attorney to get it done. Not really yelling. David doesn't yell. The, but, but poking, a lot of poking to, to, to get them out of there and get the client to go in, recheck to see that everything's out. And then we put the deed on record and everything's done. David, thank you so much for joining us. I feel like we barely scratched even the beginning of the types of issues that can come up, but I think it highlights the importance of having one of the best real estate attorneys on your side throughout the transaction. Yeah, agreed. And this is this is great. And I think maybe what we'll have to do is maybe do a War Stories uh, series where we <laughs> yes. can just come back and... and uh, because there's, there's a lot of stuff as we talk about this. It's like peeling off old scabs. My yeah. biggest regret in this job is that from day one, I did not keep a journal <laughs> of all the issues that have come up. Yeah. But yeah, no, it's uh, having, having an attorney that is focused in on residential law makes a huge difference when issues come up because they've seen it. It's rare that you're going to see something you've never seen before. They know what they need to do. They get it done and they move it forward. This is this is a lot of fun, guys. I, I'm happy happy to do it again. Guys next time, next time we'll bring a bottle of bourbon and we'll do the War Stories edition. Oh, ooh, okay. <laughs> I, I'm down. I'm good. Let's okay. go.